Morning, Austin Oaks. Trust you are doing well. Name is Branziski, lead pastor here. If you're a guest visiting with us, we want to let you know that we're a church that strives to be simply about Jesus. We believe that when you encounter him, it changes everything. Um, real quick, if you haven't registered for the Common Good Conference, I want to encourage you to do so um, because it's also going to be a launching pad for the next sermon series that we've called Church for Monday. Because we want to start understanding that the reality of our faith isn't just a one-hour deal, right? Our job as pastors is to equip the church for the work of ministry. And so you guys are going to come here, right? And you're scattered all over the city in all sorts of different places, different schools, different neighborhoods. And we're to live our faith in such a way that makes a difference. And so we're going to be in a series that's going to talk about that, how what we do matters and how we can use that for influence for the kingdom of God. And so the Common Good Conference is a launching pad for that. So I want to encourage you to sign up for that, which is next Saturday. Now this morning, we are wrapping up the series that we've been calling Rethink Religion. We just wanted to dive into four topics that a lot of people have or wrestle with and we start thinking about religion and where does Christianity kind of fit into this puzzle. And so we had topics like, why do you even go to church? What's the point of church? Like, is, is it just because this is what you do? If you're a Christian, you go to church. In fact, if, if I were to define myself as Christian, it'd be only because I go to church. Is that what it's all about? And if you remember, we discovered that we come to church primarily not because that's what you do, not primarily because it's a task, something you got to check off on your religious box. We come to learn how to love God. We come to remind ourselves that he loves us and we are rooted in his love. And out of that, we are inspired or motivated to want to love him. And so then the other week, we talked about the heart and how religion can't change the heart, only the gospel can. And last week, Chad did a great job talking about what a gospel community looks like and how that community needs to be defined or like seen as a group that extends forgiveness and love. And so this morning, I'm going to bring up a topic that when you start thinking about this series, Rethink Religion, and you hear this topic, you're going to go, how does this fit? I want to talk to you this morning about rest. How many of you feel busy? Yeah, I, I just said, right? It's like, it's like rest, it feels so elusive. And it's like, how does rest and religion go hand in hand? Like a lot of, we want to find peace and the scriptures talk about a peace that surpasses all understanding. And a lot of times we have a hard time trying to make that connection, how religion can bring rest, because a lot of us think about religion as something that you have to do. So I got, I got to go to church. I got to read my Bible. I got to pray. I got to give. I got to do it. And you get this whole list. You're like, well, I don't have any rest because I also got to work and I got kids to feed and I got this. I got to run from here and I got to go to here. And oh, I got to deal with the traffic. I got to figure out a way how to avoid the wire, not get stuck in I-35. It's just piles up, piles up, piles up. We live in a culture that is really sick, if you haven't noticed, because we love to value busyness. Even though it might not be an outright spoken value, but it's like something where we go, man, if you're busy or if you're tired, some people, like for some reason, that people go like, wow, he, he must be important. How many of you have ever fudged how many hours a week you work? Y'all liars. Like how many of you ever like done that? Like, oh man, I put in 42 hours this week. You're like, that's nothing. I put in 55. Like, as if that's supposed to be impressive, but for some reason, like, we think that's impressive. We want to talk about rest because Christianity is the only religion 
The only faith that offers a rest, a rest that truly matters, something that gets deep inside of our hearts. Some of you this morning, you might not be like physically busy or exhausted. You might be at a good spot, but you're mentally exhausted. You're emotionally exhausted, spiritually exhausted. A bunch of things run through your mind. Maybe you're carrying a lot of anxieties and issues or insecurities or fear of the future or fear of the unknown, all these types of things. Like we tend to be a very busy, busy people. Are you tired this morning? Weary this morning? How many of you immediately start to look for the coffee this morning? What are the first what are the top two common responses today when you ask someone, how are you doing? Fine. Fine. I'm busy. I'm tired. As if, like, that's a good thing. How many of you need a vacation? I loved vacations as a kid. I loved them as a kid. It was great. Got an opportunity to get away, have a lot of fun. Never once thought about mom and dad. Didn't really care. I was doing things. And so, like, I remember our first family vacation. I was like, man, we're busy. We're burnt out. We need to get away from all the activities. Let's just get away as a family. Get refreshed, rejuvenated, so we can come back and be all excited. The first hour in the drive, that bubble burst. It was just like, you know, like, as a parent, like, I had no idea that, like, okay, this, this is, uh, do we have these up? There we go. That's me nowadays. Like, really, right? Because, like, you get back, you ever, how many of you ever come back from a vacation and said, I need a vacation from my vacation? It's like, we tried to rest. Like, even if you were, like, have you ever been on a vacation? And, like, yes, physically, you were able to unplug and you were able to relax physically, but your brain didn't turn off and you're just still running and maybe you're dealing with, okay, I got to get back and this is going to happen. They need my attention and, it's, and you just feel the anxiety. Or what about like even spiritually? You ever have those moments where maybe you just kind of went off the beaten path a little bit, you found yourself a little bit distant from God, and also you're just kind of busy trying to prove God, like, God, look, look, I prayed, I'm sorry. Like, God, can we be good again? And we strive, or God, where's your will? I don't know where it is. And we try to like, oh, listen, I'm going to pray, I'm going to read, I'm going to do all these things. God, where are you? We live in this culture where we're obsessed with being busy, even though none of us want to be busy, those of you who do are sick, but like there's some people who just love it, but it's like a lot of times we just like, we want to be busy and we start thinking about rest. We're like, okay, when we talk about the Sabbath, does that mean like I'm going to sit in a hammock by a lake and there's nobody around me for five miles? If that's right, like we just don't understand the concept of rest. There's someone on our staff by the name of, um, starts with L and he's our youth pastor. In our preaching prep, love you. Like in our preaching prep, like, he would say, he's like, I don't want to rest. I'll rest when I die. I'm like, buddy, you're going to work when you die. <laughs> like, it's like, it's just part of who we are. We struggle with this. And the reality is, we're so busy that a lot of times we don't even realize that there's a warning light going on in our heart. Like, here's kind of like my typical routine. I'll get up in the morning, 
kids are already up before I'm up. They need me to get the bowl of cereal. I get them ready for school. If I get them ready for school, okay, now I got to get myself ready for work. You get ready for work. You get into the traffic. You get to the work. Emails and things are popping up on your phone. Notifications. I got to get here. I got to do this. got to do this. You finally get it all done. You get home. The kids are there. They want to eat or you got an activity. You got to get back in the car. I got to go over here. I got to pick up my son there. I got to take my daughter over here. You finally get home. It's about 730. Let's get them all ready for bed. Okay, now we got to go to bed. Got to get the teach. Get a bedtime snack. Got to read a story. Got to sing a song. Oh, I sang the wrong song. I guess sing the right song again. Okay, we're going to pray. Okay, you walk out, need some water. Okay, here's your water. Finally get done. 8.30 comes. You're exhausted and and you're like, yeah, you're resting. But there's a storm in here and all you're trying to do, at least for me, is to ignore that storm. Because I want to veg out. You wake up in the morning, guess what's waiting for you? That storm. This, this is part of our life. You, we wrestle so much with this, and part of it is the way God created this, right? So if we look at our original creation story, God created us to work. Like, we were created to work, and that's a good thing. And we're going to talk about that in the next sermon series, Church for Monday, like how our work brings about so much kingdom influence. Like, that's how we're created. We were created to do things, and it was good. We didn't even have this concept of overworking and toiling in labor. That came into existence after sin came into existence. There was this curse that fell upon our work and a struggle. And next thing you know, if you remember the creation account, after their eyes were open and they saw, you know, good and evil, and all of a sudden, at that moment, they finally recognized, oh, we're naked, and they had this sense of, like, shame and guilt, and they needed to cover themselves up. And so ever since then, like, humanity, that's a picture of how we've been trying to cover up the shame and the guilt and the sense of unworthiness in our lives. So, without realizing it, We've slipped into this, and this is why we get so busy and so stressed out and striving for so many things. Is because we tend to find our identity in what we do. What's typically the second question you ask someone when you meet them? What do you do? It's because we've been programmed to start thinking what they do defines who they are. Here, here's a great way of thinking about it. How do you feel, let's just say, a business proposal didn't go through? How do you feel about your sense of worth? Like, let, let me just share with you a little vulnerability. Like, let's just say I bomb a sermon. I never do. But in case I do, <laughs> joke, right? It's sick humility. It's sick. Like, if I, if I honestly, there's a little hum in the mic, just if anybody wants, like, if I walk out of here and I go, man, I bombed that sermon. I start to think about it, right? I'm like, okay, I'm not a good pastor. I didn't do good enough and this and this and this. And next thing you know, I'm starting to define my value. I'm starting to define my identity based upon what I do, right? I'm a pastor, but is that who I am? Like, really? Like, okay, some of you are doctors and business people and teachers and stay-at-home moms, and our culture has created a value system based upon what you do inadvertently. We know that there's some people in different positions we esteem more. We look up to them. Some, like, you, sometimes they're like, people don't want to even tell you what they do because they're afraid of how you're going to see them based upon what they do. And so we think that if I were to get there or strive here or prove this, and then all of a sudden— I will be able to be who I want to be. And here's what this leads to. 
is that we find ourselves striving so much because we have determined that our worth is linked to what we do. And this is why we find ourselves busy, hurried, exhausted, not just physically, but more internally, because that's really where the storm is raging. And Christianity offers a rest in this storm that nothing else could ever offer. And we have to try to understand this. We have to try to understand why rest is so important. Think about this. We try so hard and so often to try to add worth or value to our lives. Some of you struggle with people-pleasing. You want to please other people so that they see you a certain way. Some of you want to be successful so people see you a certain way. Some of you just want to look good so people see you a certain way. You want to be a good mom so that people can see you. Like, like we just start to go, this is our worth, and that's the reality. That's the fig leaf that we use to cover up our sense of shame and unworthiness. And God knows this. God knows this. So I want to show you a verse before we get into the passage this morning. Isaiah 30, verse 15. Love this passage. For thus said the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel. Look at these words. In returning and rest. In other words, in repentance and rest, you shall be saved. In quietness and trust shall be your strength. Not in trying harder. But there's something beautiful here that says, like, in quietness and trust, like, when you, when you understand who he is and who you are in relation to him, your strength is faith-based. It's not effort-based. In quietness and trust, that's your strength. Like, if I were to ask you this question, how would you define a mature believer? More often than not, the responses that would come is a list of things that that person would be doing. Oh, they know, they, they, they know the Bible well, they teach well, they share well, they give a lot, and this and this and this. That's okay. A lot of times those are byproducts. But I would make the case that Christianity or the Scriptures actually would say that a mature believer is someone who has learned to rest well. And out of that posture of rest comes the stuff. Versus trying to do things in order to find rest. It's a subtle shift, but it makes all the difference. Because I know a lot of us, when we think about rest, we immediately think ceasing from work is going to be easy. Life is going to be, you know, a recliner. It's going to be the hammock. All that kind of stuff. Peace, meadow, green, nice flowing stream. Cast the line of water. Fish is going to be on every single time. That's awesome. That's not it. That's not the concept of rest. So I'm going to say this over and over this morning. Your position and posture ought to be, as a believer, one of rest. Your position, we're going to talk about this, who you are in Jesus, your posture, where your worth is found. Do you have to earn it or receive it? That puts you in a place of rest. So we're going to be in two different passages this morning. We're going to be in the Gospel of Matthew, uh, chapter 11. We're going to look at verses 28 through 30. And we're also going to be in the letter of Hebrews in chapter 4. The reason why I love this is because Jesus talks about rest in Matthew 11. 
And the writer in Hebrews, he makes this connection from the Old Testament to the New Testament and how Jesus is really the, the real, the true Sabbath rest that we have. And so I want to be able to look at these two passages for us to understand the rest that is there for us as believers. So in Matthew chapter 11, I'm going to be reading it in the ESV, the English Standard Version, and also in the Message Version because I, I love how they're both uh, written. Verse 28, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Here's how Eugene Peterson writes this in the message. Are you tired, worn out, burnt out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I will show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I, I love how, how that is said. It's just beautiful. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and, I'll, and, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Therefore, oh, that's Hebrews. There's this invitation for rest. We have to seriously ask ourselves the question, do we have that rest? Do we experience that rest? Are we living in that rest? It's a question that I believe God would have you ask of yourselves this morning. And that's why I want to look at Hebrews chapter 4. Because you're going to see some language in this chapter, that ought to make it like perk us up and go, oh my goodness, I really need to be thinking about this. Look at how he writes this in chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, while the promise of entering this rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. So like when you read, like when you see that, you're just like, oh my goodness. Like there's like, you should be aware, like make sure that you're entering into this rest. For the good news came to us just as it did to them, speaking about Israel in the Old Testament, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. So in other words, it's like they heard the message. They heard the promise. They saw God leading them. They had all the things that God was setting up for them that was for their good. But they didn't take it and can unite it with faith. And that caused them to live disobedient. It caused them to fail to enter into his rest. They decided that, no, there's some things that I'm not going to go off God's way. I'm going to do it my own way. I'm going to cover myself with this fig leaf instead of covering myself with God's love and acceptance. I think I know what's right over what he thinks. And because of that, they missed it. It wasn't united with faith. Faith is more than just belief. Like, like James even teaches us as like, man, the demons, they believe and they shudder. Like, there's a different aspect of faith. Like, faith is going to take these things and it starts going to bring it into our heart where we begin to live it out. Faith is the part where it's like, it's going to determine how I live. So we get all of these promises of God. Like, even with Jesus, like, come to me, all you are weary. It's like, okay, what are we going to do with that? Are we going to combine it with faith? Are we begin to live this out? So, for instance, think about it, okay? If God is good, which he is, Faith would begin to act in kind. That should bring about rest. Because God will always be good to you. 
God can only act good to you. You never have to question that. You never have to worry about that. So even if you were to go off the beaten path and find yourself sinning for a season and you come back, you don't have to wonder if God's going to be good because he is good. Now it's beyond that. It's like all of the aspects of who God is in his word. That's why we got to bring his word in and unite it with faith. Rest is ultimately a posture of faith. Rest is not, when we think about this New Testament, rest is not a ceasing from work where we're going to do nothing. No, rest is a posture of faith. It's the same thing when Scripture tells us that we can rejoice always, that in all things we can be joyful and give thanks. Just like we can have peace and rest in all things. Rest is a posture of faith. And I would make the case that as believers, that as believers, <laughs> our lives are to be characterized by rest. A ceasing from striving. Of peace. That's where joy comes. That's where gratefulness comes. That's where rejoicing comes. Is resting in the finished work of Christ. Has nothing to do with you. So I want to unpack this even a little bit more. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 3. For we who have believed, we enter that rest as he said. I swore my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of this world, this is an echo all the way back to the creation account, that on the seventh day he rested from all his works. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage he said, They shall not enter my rest, since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter it because of disobedience. In other words, failing to bring it in and unite it with faith. Again, he appoints a certain day, today, saving through David, so long afterward, the words were quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Folks, that's even right now. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his let us, therefore, strive to enter that rest. Not strive to earn anything, but strive to enter that rest by faith so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. I love verse 10 where it says, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. So what is this? In order for us to understand this aspect, I need to teach a little bit about the Shabbat, about the Sabbath, and how the Old Testament was set up in such a way where the Sabbath was a beautiful gift from God to them. Did you know that the Sabbath rest is one of the Ten Commandments? How many of you ever found that kind of odd? Okay, there's two commands. My, parent, my parents, I love my parents. My mom specifically, I love my mom specifically. There was two commandments that she always used to guilt me. The first one was, 
honor your father and your mother. And the way she said the second part was so scary, so that it would go well with you. And I was just like, yes, mom. You're right? Like she said. And the other one that was always said to get us to go to church was, God commanded you to remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You better get up and go to church. So, yes, mom. Because if I don't, she's going to rehearse the honor of your father and mother. So I would go well with me, command. So on and on and on and went. And so a lot of times we read that about like, okay, keeping the Sabbath holy. Like if we're not like good students of scripture, we'll immediately start to think, well, that means Sunday. Got to go to church. We answer that question like, why do we even go to church? Is it because that's what you got to do? You're a cultural Christian. You go to church and God's going to be happy. And if you're not, you're not in it. And it's like, no, remember, we go to church to learn to love him. He's not a tyrant. He's not some need monger. Like he needs your attention. Everything God does is for his good. So if he says, listen, there's one day out of the seven that you need to rest. Why? I mean, this command, folks, this command is in the same list as stealing, as murder, adultery, idolatry. Oh, have a Sabbath. You're like, how does that fit? So what is the heartbeat behind it? Is there something important about it that we need to understand? The answer is yes, absolutely. In Exodus chapter 20, I don't even, can we pull up Exodus 20 real quick, Chris? There we are. This is what it says. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days, six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in it in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. God instituted Sabbath for some basic reasons. Primarily this one. To remind them that God is the point. We don't feel the same pressure on this command as they probably did. God's telling them, cut your production by one-seventh. Like, that's a big deal. Like, okay, it's like, okay, but I got bills to pay. I got these things to do. So it's like, if I don't work, how's that going to happen? God's like, I got it. You need to take a day of rest to recalibrate and remember that he's the point. Oh, he created the sea. He created the heavens. He's the point of it all. He doesn't need you to keep the world in momentum and spinning and all those things. Like, he doesn't need you. But so often we're so busy. Folks, listen. We have taken the concept of Sabbath as an external thing from 24 hours to one how many of you have a loaded agenda this afternoon? I look at my schedule today and I'm like, Whew. like when do we get the time just to actually declutter, settle down and remember, oh my goodness, it's all about him. It's all about him. And when we remember that, when our hearts are recalibrated, you know what that does to our souls? It takes so much of the burden off. It's him. Folks, today, like, the only thing that, like, seems to be shut down is one business. And, and I'm not even happy about it because for some reason I crave that chicken on Sunday. <laughs> Amen. Right? It's just like, why are you got to be close today? But, like, we don't take these times. 
Yeah, Bram, but I'm so busy. I, I can't afford to take an hour off. Even if I do, I don't even know what to do in that time. And I, that's because we're so used to being busy. And God said, listen, I know what happens to you because of sin. I know you're created to work and you're, you're driven to work to find purpose in things that you do. And I also know because of sin, you're tempted to define who you are by what you do. You need to rest and remind yourself that that's not the point. I am. So rest. And the second thing stems right out of this. If we were to jump into, if we were to jump into Deuteronomy 5, what we're going to see is something powerful. The second command of the Sabbath and all of a sudden he tells them the same thing, the very exact lines in Exodus. And all of a sudden he says this. You shall remember on the Sabbath when you rest that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. In other words, Israel, when I took you out of Egypt, did you do anything? No. When I saved you, did, did you do anything? Like, were you like some special person that I chose to save you, to pull you out of Egypt? No. It's his love. It's his opportunity to be reminded of his goodness and his mercy that he chose you and brought you to himself and that it had nothing to do with you. And when you start to understand that, it changes so much. But for some reason, a lot of us, we start out our faith and grace. We're like, I didn't do anything. But as we walk out our faith, we start to think, oh, it's about me. i got to maintain my goodness. God, look how good I am. And then we slip into trying to earn our identity and establish our worth by what we do. God's like, listen, this is who you were before. You were a slave. You were under the yoke of evil, tyranny. I redeemed you with a mighty hand just because I love you. I did this. Think about this with the gospel, what Jesus did for you and I. We were a slave, stuck in darkness. He saved us. Did you do anything? Were you good enough? Were you like special? Like, were you born in the right place at the right time, the right economic status, the right race, the right state, right this, right sports fan? Like, like, like did you, any of this? No. He also and you get this identity just because he loves you. Just like Adam and Eve before they sinned, they were covered in God's love and acceptance. And when they realized they were sinful, that's when shame entered. Through the gospel of Jesus Christ, we once again are covered with love and acceptance. And guess what happens? Our identity shifts. No longer, no longer are we defined by what we do. No longer do I have to find worth by what I do. I don't have to take worth from what you give to me. I have worth and value because God saw it fit to send his one and only son to die for me. That's value. That's worth. And because of that, now I'm a son and daughter. And nothing in this world could ever take it. Even if you were to fire me this day. Please don't. But even if you were. My identity doesn't change. You can't touch that. My value and my worth doesn't change. You can't touch that. It doesn't depend upon what I do or what worth I think I get from these things. It comes from him. That, my friends, is rest. That's the rest that God offers us. 
It's no more trying to strive and earn and be something that you think you ought to be with the culture is going to place all these values. And it's like, it's none of that. It comes straight from him. So this morning, I want you to hear the voice of Jesus so bad. And that's why I want to jump back into Matthew chapter 11. In verse 28, I mean, just hear these words. Jesus just says, come to me. All of you are heavy burdened, tired, exhausted, trying to be good people, but realizing you're never going to measure up. Chasing shadows and thinking that your value comes from this person or that person or this job or that job. Come to me. Come. This is a posture that leads to a position that brings rest. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You will not earn the rest. You can't work your way into rest. You come by faith, and he gives you rest that no one else could ever give. So revolutionary. He is our ultimate rest. He is our Sabbath rest. Folks, here's why. He's your righteousness. He's your righteousness. He's your everything. He's the one who saved you. He's the one who did it. And after he accomplished salvation, he sat down at the Father's hand. You have no part to play. You don't collaborate within him or with him on this. We try to justify ourselves before God and anything else, but we can't justify ourselves in this situation apart from Jesus. He is our righteousness. He's the one that gives us the value and the worth. We could never be good enough. He did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. He lived a life that we should have lived. He died the death that we should have died. He took my sin and my sorrow and he took them as if it was his own and he bore them on his body all the way to Calvary and he suffered and died alone for you. To adopt you. To bring you in. He's your righteousness. You don't have to strive or earn this identity. It's yours. And Jesus says, come to me. Come to me. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. If you are exhausted this morning, feeling like you're just on the proverbial hamster wheel in your own heart, in your own mind, not speaking physically, but internally, you need to ask the Lord, God, where do I need rest? Where am I striving Where am I not picking up your promises and believing them? Where am I trying to prove myself to earn value or worth on my own? But here's what I love. Look at verse 29. He says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Take my yoke upon you. In other words, it's almost like as if Jesus is just sitting there, like they knew this image. Now, a lot of us know this image as well. It's like it's just this yoke that has like two oxen together. And it's almost as if Jesus is already there with the yoke on saying, here's your spot. Come on. 
God is inviting you to be yoked up with him. And they understood how this worked, right? So like when a, a young oxen would learn how to plow a field, it would be yoked up to a more mature, stronger oxen who would carry the load, who would be the one that would be doing the guiding while the young one is following and learning, but yet yoked together, doing it with them. Jesus is giving you right now this invitation. Come on. Do it with me. That's beautiful. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. See how I do it. See that it's grace and truth. So beautiful. Man, I... I don't know why I do this. It's like there's moments in my walk with the Lord where I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm yoked with him. I'm walking with him. I'm like, this is good. But then something happens, and all of a sudden I, I start to think, I got to take care of this one. I don't like somehow get myself, that's how I get out of my yoke, right? I get out of the yoke, and I pick up a different one. Because now I got to figure it out. Or I'm not good enough. Or like, I don't really trust where he's going here. I, 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 I know it's better. And I'm doing it on my own at that point. And the end result for me is always frustration. I'll slip into this crazy cycle of insecurity wondering if I'm good enough. Can I, can I do what I do? Am I a good father? I don't know. I don't know. And the reality is Jesus is up here with his yoke looking back saying, Come on, put that one down. Pick this up. Learn from me. Learn from me. Walk with me. See how I do this. The promise is there. You will find rest for your souls. The problem is, is we don't believe it. We're like, nah, that can't be the right way. No, grace, no. And we pick up another yoke. To be yoked to Jesus is such amazing grace, folks. There's no one else, nothing else like it, ever. There is a peace that transcends all understanding that it doesn't matter what storm you're in. Like, you'll still work. Like, he's not saying, it's like, hey, when you're yoked with me, you're going to avoid all the pressures in life. It's going to be easy breezy. Lemon squeezy. No struggles. Health and wealth. Perfect. He, he just says, let me invite you to do this with me. Because in this world, you're going to have trouble. That's, take heart. I, I've overcome this world. I've overcome the world. That should bring rest. Come to me. Follow me. Take my yoke upon you. That's your choice. That's your choice. Will you do it? The promise is there. You will find rest for your souls.
So I don't know where you're at this morning. What area in your life that you need to find rest in. And that's why I, I don't have a list of applications because I want you to walk out of here and I want you to ask the Father a question. I want you to do work with Him. I want you to speak to Him and for Him to show you and to reveal to you in your life and in your heart where it is that you need rest, where it is that you need to take up His yoke. And it's this. Just ask Him this question. Ask Him the exact way you need to rest in Him today. Ask Him. I can't tell you. Because all of our life and all of our circumstances are different. Ask Him. And He'll answer it. That doesn't mean it's going to be easy. But when you're doing it with Him, the burden is light. And there is rest. You can be joyful always. You can be thankful always. You can find joy in all circumstances. Maybe it's just simply you need to stop carrying guilt and shame. Stop trying to prove yourself to be something that you're not. Stop trying to please people to earn worth. Just realize that your best identity is who you are in Christ. That's who you are. It's our posture and our position that brings about rest. Father, we thank you for this time in your word. God, I ask that your spirit would guide our hearts, navigate the thoughts of our mind, the stirrings in our heart. Lord, would you guide them to a place where you need it to be? Lord, I pray that there would be stories and testimonies of, of rest and peace and, and gospel freedom that comes from just asking a simple question like this. But Father, thank you for sending your son. Thank you that he is our righteousness, that he is our provider, he is our protector, he is our security. We don't have to strive. Thank you, like it says in Hebrews 4, that we have a faithful high priest. Because he's done it all, we can boldly approach the throne of grace in our time of need. Anytime, place, anywhere. Lord, forgive us for trying to take control of our lives. Forgive us for um, judging ourselves. Forgive us for thinking that we need to be something other than we are. That our identity as a son or daughter isn't good enough. Forgive us for forgetting that you're the point of it all. Forgive us, Lord, for failing to remember and to be joyful for such a great salvation. Lord, would you be honored and glorified in our lives. In Christ's name.